1: Hello everyone and welcome to On the Right Road. I'm your host, Paula Phillips. And as always, I've got something good and positive and wonderful to say and share with you all this evening. I hope you're ready for an extraordinary hour, you guys. I have been actually waiting for this episode for months. I mean, every minute is going to be jam packed with wonderful insights, ideas, and inspiration all centered around the beauty of math and the joy of learning. And I'm not exactly sure how to put into words my personal joy about tonight's show. For years and years now, I've seen and felt the frustration of all the challenges happening in, happening in education, in schools, and in teachers' lives with, oh my gosh, so many things. Standardized testing, taking over the educational landscape, constant curriculum changes kind of being plopped upon teachers often. As you guys know, literally at the last minute with teaching mastery expected, only to have another change be dictated to you before you can even blink... And budget cuts causing many teachers to have to take on like even second jobs to just pay basic bills, not to mention, of course, the need for basic supplies for the classroom. So it is time for all of this to be addressed. And not that we're going to solve all the country's educational challenges here in this one hour, but I have to say that tonight's guest in, in reading his books and learning about his philosophy and teaching and educational insights has shown a light Regarding math and teaching and education in general, I believe that what we're going to talk about and share together here tonight is going to be a beacon for so many wonderful things. And I am so filled with hope, you guys. So, welcome to every single one of you listening. As always, I'm thrilled you're here with me. It means so much. And as a helpful frame of reference for tonight, To start, what I'd like to do is share some of your thoughts as educators regarding math in the 21st century. Hearing from so many of you teachers yourselves how you think and feel and your take on educational elements and issues, it's always so incredibly enlightening. And this input should be known. And included in how curriculum is developed and disseminated. Now, I was actually planning to read a bunch of your actual thoughts and comments from your messages you've sent me, but there were just so many; it was unbelievable. So, what I've what I thought it would be even more helpful tonight in giving us more time together with my wonderful guest and all of his expertise, I decided to share the clear common threads that were woven through the hundreds and thousands of messages and comments regarding this topic that you all sent me. And I got to thank you all so much for sharing. All of your thoughts and messages were so insightful in terms of, you know, where teachers and classrooms are really at regarding the whole subject of math and learning. So here are the threads. They're in no particular order, and I hope I share them in the best heartfelt way as your words intended. I'm summarizing here. And I hope I do your thoughts justice, okay? So common thread number one that I felt was teachers tend to either really love or really dislike common core. There wasn't a whole lot of middle ground. It was very interesting. And I get the feeling whether someone loves it or dislikes it is most often based on their own understanding of it and training in it, which totally makes sense, right? Thread number two Many teachers are feeling very frustrated as they try to get up to speed on everything in order to effectively teach it, with all the new math curriculums coming out and often being thrown at them. Thread number three, after a couple of years of working with it and teaching it, common core and the the quote new math, a light bulb moment often happens for teachers and that makes all the difference. Again, all this makes sense, right? Thread number four, there is a real concern regarding kids not knowing basic math facts anymore like multiplication tables, and that's affecting learning in a big way. The concern that I garnered is that Common Core doesn't seem to always afford time for the practice and mastery of basic skills before zooming on to the next topic. And when kids get behind, we all know it becomes a vicious cycle in keeping up with the level they're expected to be at. Thread number five, there are big challenges with districts changing curriculum and teaching methods, often with little or no notice. Thread number six, parents not understanding common core math is a huge issue all the way around across the board. Number seven, and this is interesting, every. Special education teacher, every single one who shared with me highlighted that the use of Common Core math for special education is not working on se- several levels. And that clearly needs to be addressed. Thread number eight. When a really good Common Core curriculum is brought on board and teachers are given the opportunity to really learn and embrace it, it can be wonderful. And it provides options for learning that can be very helpful for students who learn in different ways. And it teaches kids that there are often more than one way to solve a problem. What an awesome life skill to learn in general, right? Oh, my gosh. Thread number nine, fun is a key component in learning. And while some teachers shared that they are having fun teaching new math methods and ideas, just as many, if not more, shared with me that they're saddened by the fact that the curriculum chosen by their districts is taking the fun out of school, especially those that focus on a lot of worksheets and busy work in the learning process. Thread number 10 just like No Child Left Behind sounds like a great idea, so does Common Core Math, but the reality of both isn't always working so wonderfully. And thread number 11, standardized high-stakes testing is just not working all the way around in our country. It's putting so much stress on teachers and classrooms, and it's not what is best for students. I don't think I've ever heard even one teacher say, you know, you rah, rah, standardized testing, let's do more of it, right? Right. So, we've got a lot to talk about and look at, at this sh- during this show, and I spent a lot of time reading and rereading your messages, and it is really on my heart that this show will provide a lot of wonderful support to you all. Again, we're not going to have time to cover everything I just highlighted, but I truly feel tonight is going to be a conversation that can lead to real solutions to the challenges in education in our country. I'm so excited, but okay, you guys, before I dive in. I've got my first On the Right Road giveaway for this evening. You will always know I love to throw in giving fun all the time for you guys. And all of tonight's giveaways are going to be resources that will help you share the joy and beauty of math and learning with your students. And as a reference, we'll announce all the recipients from tonight's giveaways on our Right Road Kids Facebook page tomorrow. And we'll get the gifts from tonight's show out in the mail to the recipients the week of January 29th. So let's let the math-tastic giving fun begin for tonight. This first giveaway is open, of course, to all teachers in the U.S. listening to On the Right Road right now. First, I want to make sure to mention tonight's code word. For those of you, especially who may be new to On the Right Road, or just as a helpful reminder, what you're going to do is make sure that our Right Road Kids Facebook page is up and ready to go, okay? As soon as I explain each giveaway, Marcy's going to pop it up on our Facebook page. This first one isn't up yet. But as soon as I'm done explaining it, she'll pop it up there, and then the simple entry guidelines are going to be right there in the giveaway post. Okay, but you also want to type in tonight's code word as part of your entry. Tonight's code word is math, M-A-T-H, easy, obvious, right? because that lets me know that you're really listening and it officially enters you okay so tonight's code word is math type that in in each giveaway that you enter tonight okay so here's the first one to help you add math fun to your classroom I have six sets of money resources each set has felt money packs oh my gosh they're so cool you guys and lots and lots of coin stickers and I also have two awesome math in 30 seconds books my son and I found these at Barnes and Noble and they look like they have so many fun learning ideas plus I have a $30 Amazon gift card so there will be nine teacher recipients as part of this one giveaway and each will receive one of the money sets or one of the fun math books or a $30 Amazon gift card so to enter you can go to our Right Road Kids Facebook page right now as you're listening again just follow those simple entry guidelines in the giveaway post and remember to type tonight's code word math as part of your entry comment okay and for this one also include the grade level you teach so we can best match the resources with the names drawn at random. Okay, so Marcy, go ahead. You can put that up on our Right Road Kids Facebook page right now. It'll be open until just after the end of the show, till 6.30 p.m. Pacific, 9.30 Eastern tonight. And we will announce the nine recipients on our Right Road Kids Facebook page tomorrow. Huge thanks to the Southern California DCH, Honda, Toyota, Lexus, Ford, and Audi car dealerships and Nair for making this giveaway possible. And you know this is just the first of the awesome giveaways I'll have throughout the show tonight. So keep that Right Road Kids Facebook page ready to rock and roll, you guys. And just a quick note that if you're not listening live tonight, we're live Sunday, January 21st. Tonight's giveaways will, of course, be closed after that. But as I always like to say, don't worry. We've always got fun every day on the right road, right? <laughs> so now I am so Over the moon excited to introduce you all to my brilliant guest this evening. His name is Sean Nank. He's got a PhD. Sean is a professor at California State University, San Marcos, and at the College of Education. And he also teaches high school and consults for various school districts. He's received the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching. He's published numerous articles and two wonderful books that I can't wait to share with you all. Sean has also worked in leadership positions with multiple state and national educational agencies. And he was appointed to represent the United States as the mathematics assessment expert at the International Congress on Mathematics Education 12 in Seoul, Korea. This guy, I mean, he just has an amazing combination of incredible intelligence along with the heart of gold in truly helping our nation's youth on the right road. I am so, so happy to introduce you all to and welcome Sean Nank to On the Right Road. Welcome, Sean.
0: Hi, it's nice to be here.
1: Oh, I'm I'm just, I, I. we've got so much to talk about, Sean. We were talking before the show and we were talking about how we need to do like four different episodes on this. But just so we're all on the same page as we begin here, Sean, I'm hoping that you can, what I'd like to do is define Common Core math. What is it and why was or, or was there, is there a need for it?
0: I think uh, the biggest, misconception about Common Core math lies in uh, realizing that there's different things that you can do with mathematics in the classroom. Uh, For me, the biggest reason for needing something like Common Core math is so that we can have a conversation about mathematical standards throughout the entire country. Okay. So before Common Core, you would only be able to talk about the standards within each particular state. But now we have uh, statewide standards that uh, almost every single state is using. So that allows the conversation for more people to be a part of a more globalized conversation about math.
1: Well, and but doesn't, aren't there, like, you hear the old math and the new math, aren't there also like whole new methodologies in approaching it with, quote, this common core new math? Is, or is that a whole different conversation? Do you know what I'm saying? Is that a whole different question?
0: Um, it, well, they're intertwined. Uh, okay. When I think about the old math and the new math, I realize uh, something that uh, an author said, uh, which was uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same.
1: Uh, uh-huh.
0: Basically, I was giving a conference pre- conference presentation a couple of years ago, and when I was talking about Common Core, somebody who had been teaching for almost 40 years uh, said, I was doing this about 30 years ago. It sounds exactly like what we were doing. It's kind of like that pendulum swing that people talk about, where it's not necessarily that we've reconceptualized mathematics, but we're starting to talk about it conceptually more than procedurally. I think that's what the major shift should be.
1: Well, and and. Do you think, in your opinion, that this shift, this Common Core math, this new math, this new overall approach is working to educate our country's youth? And I know you're just giving Um, your opinion.
0: Yeah, I'd like to say yes, but there's pockets where it's working well, and there's pockets where it's not working quite as well. And I think the reason for that is there were some states and some districts who were on the ball right away, interpreting the standards, getting high-quality curricular material. And this is the most important part for me, training and support for the teachers so that teachers can uh, undergo this shift. Uh, if we don't give the support to the teachers, then we shouldn't expect much of anything to change. So there are pockets where there's success with this in the new Common Core curriculum, But then where you don't see quite as much success as when uh, people do the transition and there is no support, there's no time for teachers to just sit and talk about what each standard means so that you're more in survival mode, trying to learn something new while you're teaching the class and just trying to stay one or two days ahead of the curve.
1: Well, and that, I think that is, if, if school districts, if administration is listening to this show right now, I think that is the key with the whole thing we're talking about tonight, one of the keys, is to make sure that teachers ha- are, are, have the time to, to really envelop Whatever the curriculum is and and have their input in it and just let it seep into their souls and, to, like you said, talk about it. Because if that component is missing, we've got – that's a huge pocket that's a problem in our country. So, we've got to – school districts have got to give that gift – to teachers. So, before we talk more specifically about math, Sean, related to, you know, our whole discussion tonight, how did the whole standardized high-stakes testing phenomenon become so embedded in our culture over the last many years? Did it really start with the no child left behind?
0: It did start with that. I remember teaching before no child left behind in it was almost the, it was a swing to the other side uh 20 years ago where when you started teaching, at least for me, you were given a book and maybe somebody had some standards, but your book was basically your standards. Whatever book your uh district gave you, that's what you were teaching. Um, right. The thing for me that, uh, started to worry me quite a bit with the high stakes standardized assessments with politicians would start to talk about it. I didn't worry that much when administrators started to emphasize it. I didn't worry much, but when I really started to worry was when that type of speech started, uh, becoming embedded in teachers, uh, not only yes. talking to other uh, students to other people and, uh, in our society, but also the way teachers talk to other teachers. That's where it started to really concern me, was when teachers started embracing just the standardized assessments.
1: Well, it's almost like if you think of No Child Left Behind, just that phrase. It's a beautiful phrase, but how it got twisted to mean it's, you know, to be synonymous with standardized te- st- standardized testing, it's like it's the complete opposite. I totally think you have to have testing. You've got to have some gauge of whether the kids are really understanding it. And it, it can be a very helpful tool for teachers. But to have it be the focus where other things, you know, oh, we're not going to learn that because it's not on the test. Well, that's just ridiculous. So the, the big question here for all of our wonderful Right Road teacher friends listening Sean, is how can teachers work around the pressure to only teach topics covered on standardized tests, really so that students can receive and really learn all the pieces of the wonder mathematics, wonderful mathematics puzzle?
0: Great. The, well, one of the things is to realize that um, if anybody's listening who's not a teacher, uh, Nobody knows what it's like to be in the classroom more than the students and the teachers. So there's reasons why the teachers are emphasizing the high-stakes testing, and that's because of the pressure that's put uh, upon them. I would say the biggest thing would be to start rewriting the script and changing the dialogue that teachers have amongst each other. Uh, That's what's really going to make a change, teachers having each other's backs. Because if we don't have each other's backs, then then who will? Um, changing the conversations at department meetings and staff meetings where we're not judging teachers by test scores, but using them for growth. Because one of the things that I say in my first book is I standardized assessments are fine. We need to assess students. Right. It's just the meaning we make of them and trying to boil every teacher and every student down to one test that they take once a year is, is very dangerous. And I would say that about any way that we... Uh, formatively or summatively assess students and teachers. You can never just take one snapshot on one day with one bank of items to really know what's going on.
1: Well, and I really like what you just said, Sean. Start in your own backyard, so to speak. Change the conversation. Teachers, you have the power to change that conversation within your own school, at your own team meetings, in your own staff meetings. Change the, the language so that standardized testing is not the main focus. It's, and here, here's the next question. Here's the biggie, Sean. You know, so that, that's where the teachers can start. But what do you feel as a nation? We need to do to help with what you call the inherent solution to shift from this conversation nationally about standardized tests to having the focus on talking about students and what's best for the students on a national level, on a, and even on a school district level, you know, beyond the teachers in their own world right there in their classroom, in their school, what needs to happen here in a nutshell so that the, that the change that's needed can happen.
0: That's a wonderful question, and as you were asking it, I was thinking that uh, there's times that I ask myself if I had a magic wand, a magic educational wand, yes. and it, you know, I wave it, and anything that I say would, would happen. Then for that, I would um, want every adult educator and anybody even remotely related to education at every level to realize that it's about the kids, it's not about us. I think uh, I've heard a lot of conversations, I've consulted at a lot of districts. I've been a part of a lot of uh, conversations at every level and the point in time where we start to um, deviate from where we should be going is when we stop talking as much about the students. So I think one of the things that we could do is make sure that every conversation at every level starts with and ends with what's best for students. I had one administrator a few years ago. Um, I had trouble with what we were doing in our district with standardized test scores. And I was trying to do what's best for the students. And she just looked at me in the conversation and said, are you here for the students or are you here for the adults? And that just solidified in my mind. I'm here for the students and I will do what's best for them. So that really helped to empower me to be able to speak about everything that i thought in my opinion should be happening from the perspective of the student.
1: Well, and you know what just popped into my mind as you were talking Sean? I think every school, every teacher listening should do try this Get tonight. Grab your post-its and put, we're doing what's best for the students, grab poster board, hang it up in the teacher's lounge, we're doing what's best for the, get t-shirts made, you know, Smith Elementary School is doing what's best for the students, make it a reminder that's in front of you every second of every day, and then the conversation has to naturally shift to that, right? I mean, you're right. If you think of it and try to make it fun in a fun way that you, you know, talk about it at a staff meeting. What are we, what are some, let's brainstorm ideas here because that, like you just said, that conversation, if everyone were talking that way instead of standardized testing, I believe it would shift. I love that, Sean. Okay, so now getting back specifically to math, this may actually seem like an odd question to many. But what is the beauty of math to you, Sean? You have a book, a quote in your, one of your books that says, the music and beauty of math is endangered. What is the beauty of math to you?
0: With uh, the book you're talking about on um, the, the front cover it, of it, and I took a lot of time thinking about this. On the top third of the book, there's an ABCD standardized Scantron test. And on the bottom yes. third, there's this beautiful Fibonacci Sequence Uh, And to me, that encapsulates what I was trying to talk about, which is that in school, we make mathematics look uh, like it doesn't really look like in real life. Um, Everything, at least for me and everybody else could probably see who teaches math, that it's pretty much everywhere. When I think about the beauty of math, I think of uh, just the very cadence of the conversation that you and I are having right now. There's mathematics embedded in this conversation, the way we're talking, how we're talking, the logical way that every conversation unfolds. Even if from point A, it seems totally unrelated to point C, there is a logical progression and cadence and mathematics behind every conversation. Boy, that's uh, interesting.
1: Go ahead. Was, go ahead. I said, that's interesting. I never thought of it oh, that way. I love it. Go ahead,
0: Sean. One other thing I was thinking of is uh, I never had any desire at all in my entire life to uh, learn ballet, and my daughter's a dancer, so I was uh, (laughs) inadvertently by one of the uh, ballet teachers, Miss Meg, asked to help out. And at the time, I didn't know that it was uh, actually doing ballet. Um, So it's something in my mind that's growth mindset fresh, but I remember thinking the way that I understood the beauty of ballet and the way that I was able to um, learn it was through mathematics, through the patterns. And then thinking about that in terms of all of our interactions with everybody and everything in our world, there's there's that cadence there again. Uh, if you think about just dancing with somebody, you have the math behind two people coming together, dancing with each other in cadence. And then if you have it uh, as a learning perspective, then you have to have the teacher being in cadence with it and all of that patterning uh, and all the, uh, just the different ways that you can visualize it. I was just in a class yesterday and uh, one of the ballet teachers said, okay, you need to uh, form your arm at a 90 degree angle. And she looks at me and says, I'm talking your language. But I was thinking, (laughs) well, yeah, but shouldn't that be everybody's language? We should all be able to To think about the beauty of what we're doing in terms of mathematics. And you could think of it with everything and anything they do.
1: It's true. I mean, music, like you were, you know, you have a time signature. Are you doing a waltz with one, two, three, one, two, three? Are you doing a hip hop song where it's, you know, four, four, the beats? Or, you know, for me, like just walking out in nature and seeing symmetry. That's something that always is just miraculous and beautiful to me that it just blows me away. It's like God's creation is just so unbelievable unbelievable and I love how, you know, you talk about math being everywhere that we look. And I think if we can help kids see that and be excited about it, it change like you said it changes the whole cadence of of the excitement of it, and the, the it can change the whole, it, you know, the class setting, the feeling in the class. Uh, oh my gosh, this is so exciting! So, oh my, stay with me, okay, Sean. I've got a mountain <laughs> more questions for you, but right now I have such a terrific surprise for you all. It's time for tonight's On the Right Road giveaway number two, and it's actually in Sean's honor. His books are truly wonderful. In the forward of one of them. The supporter wrote, this book is a gift to the teaching profession, and I couldn't agree more. I just, both of these, every teacher in the world should be reading these, Um, and we're going to talk about them coming up. I can't wait, but in the meantime, here's a chance for you to receive one, you guys, or some other awesome resources, too, for math. This giveaway, number two, it's open to all teachers in the U.S. listening to On the Right Road right now. I have two of Sean Nank's Testing Over Teaching books, two of his The Making of a Presidential Mathematics and Science Educator books, and I'm also adding eight sets of really cool math flashcards for all different age groups. So there will be a total of 12 teacher recipients of this one giveaway to enter just go to our Right red Kids Facebook page right now as you're listening just follow those simple entry guidelines in the giveaway post remember to include tonight's code word math M-A-T-H as part of your entry comment even if you included it in tonight's first giveaway make sure to type that in as part of your entry comment for this giveaway too okay and again for this one also include the grade level you teach as part of your entry comment too and then we'll be able to match each of the recipients names drawn at random with a gift that will best match their grade level okay so marcy you can go ahead and pop that up on our right road kids facebook page right now it'll be open until just after the end of the show till 7 p.m pacific 10 eastern tonight and we'll announce the 12 recipients on our right road kids facebook page tomorrow huge thanks of course to sean nank and health coaching with claudine for helping to make this giveaway possible now Oh my gosh, I've got so many more questions for you, Sean. And what I'd like to do is try to touch upon as many topics with you as possible in the time we have left, including some questions that came in from wonderful Right Road teacher friend listeners. And here's, to start this next part here, here's a great question from a teacher. It was actually a question from a lot of teachers. And remember, you guys, if I share your name and we answer your question here tonight, you'll receive a $50 school supply gift pack. So David Heth from Baldwin Heights Elementary in Greenville, Michigan, shared this. Quote, after teaching Common Core math over the past few years at the fourth grade level, I've come to appreciate parts, yet wish we had more time for other areas as well. It's great at building capacity and dealing with day to day problem solving, but I found my kids missing out on enough time for basics like telling time and having a solid foundation for the value of money. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, the multiplication tables. Sean, uh, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Dave. David said, I'm wondering, how can we balance it all out to help our kids be well-rounded, really learn the basic math facts, and be critical problem solvers too? What do you think, Sean? This is a big question.
0: And it's a wonderful question. I'm glad somebody asked it. Um, (laughs) I think the key to answering that question, and it's much easier said than done, is trying to find a balance. So, as an example, um, one of the things that we did, uh, I was a part of publishing a a series of Common Core textbooks with uh, LearnZillion, and what we did when we uh, started writing the curricula was thought of what we most wanted educators to be able to do when they're in the classroom, and what we came up with was conceptual, procedural, and application lessons. And to me, that seems to be the key. If you're lingering too much on one of the three, then they're absolutely right. You're not going to have that balance. Uh, About a decade ago, before Common Core, I was trying to tell everybody that we can teach mathematical concepts before we teach procedure. And it wasn't a very popular message, but now it is. So I would say that you have to start with the conceptual And of course, by all means, provide time for the procedural and then move on to application from there. And that also addresses a lot of parent issues. If if your kid comes home and they're doing a straightforward addition problem and it's taking them five minutes when all they have to do is this algorithm, it's understanding that that five minutes isn't getting them to be able to have automaticity with mathematics, that five minutes is trying to get them to understand what addition really is. There's oh. a really nice quote, as you were reading that, that I was thinking of. It's a, it's a Buddhist quote. It says that the finger that points at the moon is not the moon. And when I think in terms of mathematics, I think every symbol that we use in mathematics isn't the true, pure math. Those are things that we've created so we can communicate mathematically and so we can help people learn what mathematics really is. So it's a matter of, yes, you want that symbol manipulation. Yes, you want the procedural, but you have to have the conceptual with it. And according to the multiplication tables, uh, by all means, students should be able to run through their multiplication tables, but it's a matter of now adding that they understand what multiplying is, and that they can do it by composing and decomposing numbers. So it's adding on that layer of understanding, not just well, being able to do it, but to understand the hows and the whys.
1: Okay, so this is all making sense to me. But what needs to happen is that that actual doing it and knowing those mathematic tables, we cannot lose that in light of trying to gain the ladder. Of what you were just talking about, right? And and here's here's the crux of the matter, what we're talking about. This question came in from another teacher, from so, and a lot of teachers ask this one too. Sonia Staten from Grace Academy in Charlotte, North Carolina, she shared, as a parent, I didn't like Common Core math when my oldest son was in elementary school. He gave a correct answer and checked it, but it was marked wrong because he used the way he learned we learned growing up, not the Common Core way. He was told that if he had done the problem using their method and gotten it wrong, he would have gotten partial credit, but because he didn't do it he didn't do it their way. Even though he had the correct answer, it was marked completely wrong. The teacher actually said the method was more important than getting the answer correct which to me seems counterproductive to math, but I'm trying to understand, as a parent, I'm trying to understand all this too. Sonia went on to say, I understand that Common Core gives you many ways of thinking about a problem, but why should you have to simplify if you can already think and figure out the larger, more difficult work and get the answer right? Should partial credit be given? This is the question that I think every parent is asking and teachers are trying to figure out what to do about. What do you think, Sean?
0: There's not too many things that I uh, can answer definitively as true, false, black, and white 100%, but this is one of the things that I firmly, absolutely believe in, which is that when you grade students' papers, when you're teaching them, when they're conversing, when they're working in groups, that there is no one way of thinking about mathematics that would necessarily be better than another, because everybody thinks about it in a different way. We're such extraordinarily complex beings, and that's the beauty of math and the beauty of education and the beauty of people. We're complex thinkers. So if somebody gets it right or wrong, I I can see the teacher saying that the, the thought and the work is more important than the answer, but I firmly believe that we should not grade students based on if they can do it the way that we showed them to do it in class. I've had so many students do it in amazingly wonderful ways that I never would have thought about that are actually better than the ways that I think about it. And I always tell my students as we're getting ready for the test, I remind them because there are a few math teachers who you have to do it this way, and if you don't, you don't get credit. I have to remind them that in my classroom, I don't care how you do it, as long as it's mathematically sound, you are your stance, and I can follow your logic, then you will get partial credit or full credit.
1: I love that. Well, and I totally understand that sometimes, again, with the whole common core idea and trying to think outside of the box and come up with different ways to solve problems, I really understand that sometimes a teacher might be trying to help kids think in a whole new way over here. So so I can see where sometimes the teacher may say, this time, I want you to try. Now, if, they, if the child does it three different ways, how awesome. I think that's the whole thing is to excite them about finding, like you said, finding the way that works for them. But then also try this way, too, because it might open a new box in your brain for thinking. Does that make sense? So I can see why sometimes teachers would want to encourage looking at a new way. But I I agree that it's not good to um, make kids feel bad if they came up. Maybe it's an Albert Einstein way of coming at it. And if we make them feel bad, I think that's not good. Right? Uh, it, it, right? Well, and here's, an, here, here's another huge question that's related to all of this. It, it came, this one came in from a lot of teachers, too. Brandy Meyer from Abney Elementary in Slidell, Louisiana, shared it perfectly. She wrote, although there is a lot of confusion and negative criticism over Common Core, I've noticed that with it, my students are stronger each year academically. With that said, my question is, her question is, how can we as teachers help parents buy into it, and at the same time help them understand these new methods so they can assist their children at home. I think that's a huge problem. Honestly, as a parent, I've had it. I was always very good at math, um, but but I'm not feeling, I feel there's a disconnect between schools and parents with this whole conversation about math right now. What do you think, Sean? How can we help parents understand this? The change. That's a good
0: question. Yeah, it's I I remember when in my first couple of years of teaching, I was in a uh, a meeting with a parent and an administrator, and the the parent asked me if I was a parent, and I said I wasn't. Uh, So I'm saying this because at that point in time, they said, well, then how could you know and how could you be a great teacher? So you can be a great teacher without having a child, but since I have a child in the system, it's Absolutely changed my perspective, seeing what she goes through and what she experiences. I think the biggest thing is, and there's a whole other topic about the the culture of parents in school, and there's some wonderful books about it. But in terms of the, the teacher and parent relationship, it's realizing that, for lack of a better way of saying it, that we're all just human beings trying to do the best we can with what we have. So I think a huge portion is taking the judgment out of it and trying to get parents as involved as we possibly can with their child's education in whatever way they feel most comfortable. One of the things that I try to do with my parents is I send them to online websites and I tell them that one of the biggest predictors of student success and with all the TIM scores in the countries outperforming us, one of the main things that the parents do that we don't do as much in America is there's somebody sitting down with the child for 15 to 30 minutes every day, uh, just letting them know that they value them and that they value their education. It doesn't mean that you have to sit down with them and help them with their Algebra 2 homework. It just means that you're there with them, letting them know that education is important. But there's still some parents who, uh, rightfully so, want to be able to help as they're with their child. And for that, I send a online videos home to say what you can do is if they're having trouble with a concept, pull the video up, watch a five-minute math video, and try to learn it together, or at least you pull it up for them while they're trying to do the work. It's just a matter of, of being there for them and letting them realize that they are as much, if not, more important in their child's education as their teacher It's all about building that type of relationship because I want my parents to be able to come to me early and often if they have any type of concerns or considerations or if anything's going on at home. So it's all about the communication.
1: Absolutely. And I think setting that, establishing that from the get-go, like if you are trying a completely new math technique, let your parents know, you know, let them know that, okay, this is what I'm doing. It may be different than what you, uh, the methodology may be different than what you learned as a child. But here's why I'm doing it. So that they know, I don't ever remember getting that kind of message, uh, email from my son's teacher. And that would be helpful to me to know, oh, okay, I might not get this. I might have to watch a video to understand. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, that communication is so key and help parents just know that you're that you're there. That you you're there to answer questions for them. It's not a war. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes we're just trying to figure out ways to get it to roll smoother, you know. Right. And we're all in this together. So, oh my gosh. Okay. So here's another question, and I want to make sure that we have time to get into your books here. In your in your first book, testing over teaching. Every page shares just these clear, palpable examples of how a teacher's approach and relationships with students make all the difference in the world. And just a couple of the points that particularly caught my heart and eye, and there are so many of them, but a couple of them were negating student input and mutual animosity. Could you just kind of, just in a minute or so, I, we could go on, this could be a whole show in itself, but could you just kind of touch upon these, quote, I'm calling them traps. Um you know, it's so important for teachers to truly understand these things and not get caught up in the pit, these pitfalls. Um, so let's start with mutual animosity. You know, just briefly, what is it, how does it happen, and how, is it, how does it affect the dynamic of teaching math in the classroom?
0: Right. That's a term that I came up with when I was uh, doing my research for my first book. And I saw, I won't give too much away, but I saw a uh, a very alarming uh, type of confrontation going on between a a student and a teacher while a lesson was going on. And in order to understand when teachers feel animosity or when students feel animosity or if there's any type of tension in the classroom, the one thing that I really would love everybody to realize is that everybody has a reason for doing what they do and every reason makes sense to that. So if you have a student in class who is acting out or trying to fight against learning or distracting other people, there's a reason behind it that makes sense to them. So whenever you have that type of animosity in the classroom, the first thing that I do is I ask myself, what am I doing to contribute to this or what am I doing to help disperse this and help the student feel comfortable in our classroom? The other thing, too, is and this is another magic wand moment, if I had my magic wand and could wave it, (laughs) I would just take all of the egos away from everybody involved in the educational system. In other words, anytime any student, and it doesn't happen often, but anytime any student has any type of outburst in my classroom, the first thing that I do is give everybody else something to work on, take the student outside, and my first Uh, words to them isn't, you're not doing this in in the room, how dare you? I don't take it personal. My first words are, what's going on? And 99% of the time, it has absolutely nothing to do with you or the classroom or anybody else in that classroom. There's a lot of times that we bring things into the classroom and it manifests itself in different ways. So it's realizing that it's it's not always about what's going on there, and it's not treating that animosity by the behavior, but it's just stopping and having a conversation with the student about the, why they're doing it, what's behind it. Because if you just treat the behavior, nothing's really going to change. But if you have a conversation and develop a bond and they can talk about what's going on, what's causing the behavior, that's when you're going to get some real change.
1: Well, and I I really, I cannot say this enough, you guys. This book that I'm holding in my hand right now is called Testing Over Teaching. You've got to get this. It, he, Sean followed um, a couple of teachers, and he writes about it so spot on. Examples of exactly what went on in the class and exactly what was happening. Every, You should see this thing. I've got everything highlighted here. I can't say enough about it. We could have a whole episode just on this one book. So this one is called Testing Over Teaching. His other book, which I wanted to make sure to touch upon too, is called The Making of a Presidential Mathematics and Science Educator. And honestly, I could read every paragraph. It's just all so inspirational. But what I wanted to do is just read a part of one paragraph here that's amazing. Sean, you wrote, when I teach, my goal is not to have students think like me, but just to think Many obstacles will stand in the way of students, but I will not be one of them. And you go on to say, I would like to say that the best part of teaching is reaching a kid who no one else has been able to reach or students thanking me for what I do. But as good as those moments are, the best and most enjoyable part of teaching for me and my students is when we laugh together. I reach more students through a smile and laughter than any other curricular strategy. And Sean, what a perfect way to share what teaching is all about, and and what a m- much-needed reminder in our country today. Do you have any added thoughts on what I just read? You know that you'd like to share with everybody because I just I think it's profoundly wonderful.
0: Thank you. Well, it just that. It, it, I don't take for granted that every day I go to work, it, it's, don't get me wrong, it's hard. And I spend a, a ton of time planning, but it doesn't feel like work. Whether I'm teaching at uh, the high school or at either of my universities, I look forward to it. I look forward to the conversations. I remember uh, when I was doing my student teaching in a suburb of Chicago, I was uh, making copies by the, in the copy room. And I overheard a couple of math teachers uh, talking about the classroom and how they didn't like the students and they didn't want to be there. And I remember thinking, I will uh, that's great. Give me your job. I would love to teach your students. I would love to have these conversations. And it's a matter of realizing that you are there for the students. And yes, we're the teacher, yes, they're the students, yes, they're learning, yes, we're teaching, but we learn just as much from them. And it's the point in time, something magical happens when people realize that you're simply and complexly there for them, that you want them to succeed and that you view them not just as people who are sitting in a desk so that I can have a job, but instead view them as equals, as people that you're having a conversation with so that they can learn.
1: Well, I can't believe this time is going by so quickly here. I want to make sure, Sean, that everybody knows where to get your books. Again, they're called Testing Over Teaching, and the other one is called The Making of a Presidential Science and Mathematics Educator. I easily found them when I googled Sean Nank, that's S-E-A-N-N-A-N-K, math books on Amazon. Uh, and they came right up. i I really, 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 if you're a math teacher, if you are a parent, uh, you know, I, I think that these books should be standard reading for every everyone who works with kids in America. It, it just it's I, I can't say enough about them. Sean, thank you so much. i, I We need to have a whole other episode because there's so much more we could talk about here, but thank you so, so much. you're you're an amazing person. Thank you for being oh, here for with us, us on me. the right road. Oh, you're welcome. It's my and,
0: pleasure.
1: Oh, and I and I of course you guys know I I want to give my heartfelt thanks also to our amazing On the Right Road sponsors, Right Road Kids, Right Road Productions, Health Coaching with Claudine Nair, Seatsack, the Southern California DCH Audi, Honda, Ford, Lexus, and Toyota car dealerships, Lori Stenas and her Keller Williams real estate team, and Mo Anderson on behalf of Keller Williams and her extraordinary A Joy-Filled Life book. Please, you guys, if you could take a moment, uplift prayers for Mo. She's been um, sick with the flu and... She's 80 years old now, still doing amazing things. She's our angel sponsor, and she's been very, very ill for three weeks or a month now. And uh, I'm a little concerned. So if you could just lift up prayers for her health, I would really, really, really appreciate it. Reminder to mark your calendars you guys for Sunday February 11th that, that's 3 weeks from tonight again that's Sunday February 11th that's our next on the right road live show date and I can't wait to share what we'll have in store for you then oh so exciting one other an important and fun reminder over 100 schools across the country participated in this year's Right Road 10 by the 10th sign up challenge we're in the process of confirming each of the schools now each that had 10 new ed- Educator friends sign up will receive a hundred dollar school supply gift box, and I just want to thank you in advance for your patience, you guys, because so many wonderful new friends signed up. It's going to take us through February to tally all the tens, so to speak. But as soon as a particular school sign ups are confirmed, we will get their hundred dollar gift box out in the mail. Again, thank you so much for your patience and. Like I always like to do to wrap up each show, I have some nuggets from my heart to share with you that you can take with you into the week and into the rest of the school year. And these are biggies tonight. These are things that really, um, really have been on my heart. Number one. Our approach to an excitement about things is going to have a huge influence on our kids' approach to an excitement about things. I was in a classroom the other day, and the teacher was reading information from a textbook, and I have to say it was just dead. As this teacher was reading, I just wanted to interject fun comments that kept popping into my mind to help the kids really relate to the material, and it was so relatable, it would have just brought it to life for them. And now, when I shared that tonight's topic was going to be math, some of you shared with me that you hated math and that it was your least favorite subject to teach. And I, we not all of you, of course, many of you love it, but some of you said, oh, I don't like math. We have to remember that kids sense and take on our strong feelings about things, even if we don't think they do. It's like Vegetables. Uh, You know, if they're not our favorite thing to eat and we don't like to include them in our meals, how in the world are our kids going to learn to love them and understand the importance of them? So even if something isn't your favorite, find a way to bring it to life for your children and students. Find the joy of it together. Make it a fun game. You know, what's the first way we're going to find a way to love math or vegetables? (laughs) Our attitude as adults, as parents, as teachers is key. The second nugget, I had a huge aha light bulb moment this week while preparing for this show. My parents and I were talking about tonight's show a couple of days ago, and I love how they always connect with me and ask questions about it. And my stepdad thought for a bit and then asked, do you think, Paula, that the big problems with math and in education in general can be fixed? Now, my stepdad is this brilliant man, and when he asked that, it's like a million things came together at that moment in my mind, and my answer was, yes, yes. And here's what came to me. This is, of course, a generalization, but it really makes sense. Okay, for many, many, many years, we're talking hundreds of years, I think, changes in education were relatively slow. And again, that's a generalization. But with that said, in some significant ways, methods, I think, were much easier to take in and digest and teach because there was time to learn and pass the information on to our kids. But now what's happening, not only with math, but with so much, especially with all the technology in our lives, is that change is happening at the speed of light. And it's difficult for us as adults, as parents, as teachers to take it in, much less teach it to our kids. It's like my auntie's eye situation, okay? Because of glaucoma and other eye challenges, her sight has slowly gotten worse and worse over the last many years. But recently, she had surgery to stop the degeneration. And what happened is the surgery actually made it worse. The slow degeneration was one thing, but this recent change happening literally overnight due to the operation has put her into this deep sadness. And it makes sense. So much change all at once, whether with eyesight or education can be overwhelming. And it can put things into kind of a a running around like chickens with our heads cut off kind of syndrome. And I think our country right now is currently in a state of nearly complete overwhelm regarding our whole educational system. So to answer the question my stepdad asked, if the huge ever growing problems in education can be fixed, my answer is yes, if, and this is big, this is what I think we need in our country right now. If great educators like many, my many on the right road guests and like so many of you guys who really understand and do the grassroots work of teaching kids, and have real gifts in communicating their insights, ideas, teaching techniques, and solutions, and great business minds, because this all includes a big budget mess, right, and great visionaries come together as a team, working together, believing together, envisioning together, acting together, to try to come up with big solutions to the big challenges, and then the individual school campuses and communities and principals and teachers are empowered, not just dictated to, to make decisions and do what is best for their students. It is huge. But I believe and I can see this needed change happening if, and I just shared my if, and that's hopeful for education in our country and our children. I believe that is what can leave our children and all of us on the right road in the 21st century. And, oh my gosh, you guys, uh, he's going to give me a couple extra minutes here because there was a little blip at the beginning of the show, so I have time to share my third nugget. A paragraph from one of Sean's books says, quote, we can be good educators, but why not be great educators and do great things when I say great? I'm not talking about those stories from Hollywood. I'm talking about the little things that matter most. That is what makes us great. The things that affect others most are most often the things we don't even remember. When a student needs help, we must help them. When we are confronted with an educational dilemma, we must do what is best for the students. When we are exhausted by all that we have to do and all we've given, we must pick ourselves up, focus on what really matters, and do what we need to do to take care of our students, our colleagues, and ourselves. All that really matters is the present moment. But what we do in that moment in the classroom permeates the stories of our lives and our students' lives. So we must make it a good one, a great one. And on that note, you guys... I'm so excited to share giveaway number three with you tonight on the Right Road. Of course, it's open to all teachers in the U.S. listening to On the Right Road right now. I have six classroom timers for math and other learning fun and two $50 Lakeshore Learning gift cards to help you purchase wonderful new math resources for your students and classrooms. And I have one of our $200 school supply gift boxes. So there will be nine teacher recipients. And to enter, just go to our Right Road Kids Facebook page right now as you're listening. Just follow the simple entry guidelines in the giveaway post. Remember to include tonight's code word math as part of your entry comment even if you included it in tonight's other giveaway entries, okay? So Marcy, you can put that up on our Right Road Kids Facebook page right now. It'll be open until just after the end of the show till 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 Eastern tonight and we'll announce the nine recipients on our Right Road Kids Facebook page tomorrow. Huge thanks to Nair, Lori Stinus, and our Keller Williams Real Estate Team and Mo Anderson on behalf of Keller Williams Realty along with her amazing A Joyful Life book for helping to make this giveaway possible. And, oh, my gosh, just to wrap things up, you guys, mountains of thanks to my unbelievably wonderful guest this evening on the Right Road, Sean Nank. Thanks, of course, to Right Road team member Marcy for the awesome behind-the-scenes support. Thank you to my amazing engineer, Justin, who's letting me go right to the top of the hour tonight. And thank you all so very much for listening and being a part of the Right at Road family. Blessings, love, and light to every single one of you. In case you missed any part of this evening's show or would like to share it with friends, this episode will, of course, be available to listen to or download for free. And we'll post that link on our Facebook page and website within the next few days. I think I'm also going to put the link up on our Right Road Kids Facebook page tonight so you can share it with parents and friends. It's just so special. Um, Also, watch for the Click and Listen giveaway we'll have on our Right Road Kids Facebook Page for it next weekend. Even if you're listening now, you can still click and listen and enter that giveaway. Remember that our next On the Right Road show will be live here on Voice America Empowerment on Sunday, February 11th. In between our live On the Right Road broadcasts, you can always connect with us on our Right Road Kids Facebook page and via our website at rightroadkids.org. Hey, you guys, always remember that you are special, appreciated, and loved. Until next time, Sunday, February 11th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern, here on the Voice of America Empowerment Channel. Be that daily, positive, bold, empowered inspiration for the kids in your life and live your best, most amazing life on the right road. Wishing you and your kids a magical time finding the joy and beauty of math and learning everybody. Love you all. Ma.
0: Thank you for listening to On the Right Road with your host, Paula Phillips. Connect with us anytime at www.rightroadkids.org or at Right Road Kids on Facebook. And we'll catch you again here every first and third Sunday of the month at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on The Right Road. Right road.
1: and management.